Psalm 78. You know, I got a question for us to begin with here. If God, if God's compassion toward you, if God's compassion toward you was just like your compassion toward others, how would you fare? If God's compassion toward you was just like your compassion toward others, how would you fare? You know, according to Webster, the word compassion means it refers to a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another. It refers to sympathy or pity. Each day I try to read one of the Psalms, and on Tuesday I was reading in Psalm 78. And the verses that I'm sharing with you this morning really stuck out to me as something that we needed to focus our attention on. I needed it personally. And as you look at this psalm, it's an interesting psalm because it's, a, it's really a psalm of history. It's a psalm that encourages us, first of all, in the first eight verses, let me put it this way, it's written to Israel, all right? And we need to keep that in focus. I don't want to get that out of focus. It is written to Israel. But at the same time, there's a lot of things in it that have principles that can be a help and encourage to, to us. All right? So the first eight verses here, he talks about reminding our children, reminding our children of the things of the past. Uh, verse number four, he says, well, uh, we will not hide them from our children, showing, them the, uh, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and the wonderful works that he had done. And uh, so he's talking about reminding the people of the past, of all that God has done for them. And he works his way down through the chapter, and, and we see that... Um, he, he says there in verse 7 that we might set their hope, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You know, as I was thinking about this, these first three verses here, one of the thoughts that came to my mind is this. You know, God says, I want you to remind your children of all the great things that has happened in the past. You know, one of the things that we, we read a verse like that, and yet sometimes we don't apply it to ourselves personally. I wonder how many of you, and I'm not asking for a raise of hand, I want you to think in your heart, how many of you have actually taken the time to sit down with your children and share with them the details of when you put your faith and trust in Christ, assuming that you have? Have you ever done that? You ever sat down with them and said, let me tell you all about how I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior? I mean, that we need to do that. That's one of the basic things. And, and he says right here in this first of the psalm that that's one of the things that we need to be doing is reminding the next generation of the great things God has done. And yet those, that's one of the things that so many times we don't do. It wasn't until a few years ago that I actually asked my parents to tell me when they came to know Christ. And they went and explained in detail to me when they had put their faith in Christ. And I hadn't really known that before. And I mean, that was years and years later. They had trusted Christ when, before I was born. And yet I didn't know all the details of that. So that's something we need to share with each other. But that's a good thing to, to think on as we start out here. He goes on here in verse number 11. And he says, uh, and forget um, and forget his, uh, forget his works. He says, we, this is what Israel did. They forgot God's works, his wonders. And verse 12 is the marvelous things that he did and, uh, in, the, in Egypt and how he divided the Red Sea and we passed over on dry land. Verse 14, and in the daytime he led us by a cloud and in the nighttime with a cl- uh, pillar of fire. And uh, in verse 15, they, he 
clave the rock or broke open the rock and provided water in the wilderness. Uh, and verse 16 of how he, he brought streams out of the rock and caused the waters to run down. I mean, these are events that were miracles in Israel's history. And he says, don't forget to tell them to your children. Review that with them. Rehearse that with them. Keep that in front of them. Help them to see that. Again, he goes down in verse number 20 about how Moses struck the rock. He made a big deal about this rock in the water because that was a big, big thing for them. You got over two and a half, three million people and wandering through the wilderness desert area. They needed water and a lot of water. Not only for them, but also for their animals. And God provided that water as Moses struck the rock and the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed. And then God, but the, in the midst of all that, think of this. You know, many times, and we're going to be, we're going through the book of Numbers right now. We're going to be digging into a lot of this stuff on Wednesday nights. But as you think about this, this is something that really comes to my mind often as I read over the history of Israel. I think, how could they just keep being so stubborn and so rebellious and so ignorant and so critical? And then I look in the mirror and realize I'm just as bad. Because we see here in verse 20, he says, the people are saying, behold, God smote the rock. Or I say, Moses smote the rock and the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can And they were referring to God, even though Moses hit the rock. Could Can Streams, uh, and these streams overflow. Can God also give bread? Can He provide flesh for His people? What are they saying? He said, God did this wonderful thing of providing water, but can God actually give us bread to eat and food? Can God provide the food and the flesh that we need as well? What were they saying? They're saying, God, you did a one big thing, but I don't think you can do this one. We really want some food. They didn't trust God. And oh, so often how we do the same. Continue on down, verse 23. Though he had, compact, uh, had commanded the cloud from above to open the doors of, uh, and open the doors of heaven and rain down manna upon them to eat and gave them of the corn of heaven, uh, men did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full and caused the east wind to blow in the heaven and by his power he brought in the south wind. And rain fleshed upon them as dust and feathered fowls like the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and were filled and gave them their own desires. See, God provided abundantly for them. He said, I don't want you to let them forget this. Remind your children of these things. Recall these things. You know, folks, we, and I'm really preaching it myself because I, I didn't do a good job at this, honestly. But we need to be regularly reminding our children of the great things God does for us. When God answers a prayer, we need to make a big deal about that and say, look, at God answered that prayer. We prayed for that and God answered it. He gave us just what we've asked for. Or maybe God said no. But we talk about that and work through that. Help them to see God's real in our lives. You know, one of the things that I think is really missing in Christianity today is the realism of God. You know, we know we say we believe that God is there, we believe in God, but we live sometimes like we don't believe in God. And God wants it to be real in our lives, in our homes, in our actions, in our conversations. That God is a real God and He is a real being that does care. We need to see that and we need to emphasize that and let our children see that. And as we Work our way down through here. Uh, we see in verse number 34, when he slew them, 
they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. God said, the only way they're going to listen to me is I give them a plague, and then they come running back to me and say, God, please help us. We're plagued. We need help. And then they turn back to God. But it wasn't until the hard times came. You know, sometimes that's true in our lives. God allows hard things to come into our lives to wake us up and to get us drawn back close to him again. We started drifting a little ways, and God sends a trial. It ought to not make us bitter. It ought to make us better. That's what God's desire is. But all too often, we become bitter instead of better. And so God's reminding them of all this. Down to verse number 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. And the, with the, uh, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So they came to God and said, yeah, God, we're, we're, we want what you want. We'll want to walk with you. I want to do what's right. But God says, I know your heart. You're just flattering me. You're just saying it on the outside, but you don't mean it on the inside. And all too often that happens. We'll say things to God and say, God, I need your help. I'll be faithful. I'll do right. I promise. And then God meets the need, and then we just forget all about it, and we go back to our old ways. God said, I don't want that. I want your heart. I want, what, I want you to really focus and do right. But then the verses I want us to focus our attention on is verses 38 and 39. He says in verse 38, But he, speaking of God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, the wind, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. As we look at this, we see here God's compassion. I've entitled the message this morning, The Compassion We Cannot Live Without. And as we look at this here, we see Israel was the situation. It was about Israel, but there's principles here for us. God was speaking to Israel, and he was against it. He was angry with them different times. He was upset with them because they didn't give him his full heart. They were, they were lying to him. They were deceiving him. They'd, they'd begging for help. He'd give them the help, and they weren't grateful. God was very upset with the people, but at the same time, he, being full of compassion, forgave them. God was full of compassion. He was full of compassion. As we look at this this morning, because God is a compassionate God, we greatly benefit just as Israel did. There was a great benefit to Israel because God was compassionate. If God wouldn't have been compassionate, they would have been finished. How many times did God say, Moses, step back. Let me, I'm going to wipe him out. And Moses would plead with God. And he begged with God and say, no, God, please don't do that. And God would inter- Moses would intervene for them and spare them and didn't kill them. But it was his compassion. And you know, as we look at this, I want us to notice here some of the great benefits that we can enjoy as well because of the compassion of God. Number one. He forgives our sins. God's forgiveness is an atoning reconciliation. What do I mean by that? Well, you look at this passage, verse 38. He says, 
being full of compassion, God forgave their iniquity. The word forgive there doesn't mean to just push it aside or we'll just not count that one this time or we'll just forget that. No, it literally means that he dealt with it and reconciled it. He resolved the problem. He dealt with the issue. I don't know about you, but many times I've done things where I needed God's forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness regularly. And here we see it again that God poured out His forgiveness upon Israel. I'm so grateful for Psalm 86.5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy upon all them that call upon thee. God is ready to forgive. That is a great blessing. When we do wrong, God, you don't have to twist his arm and say, God, would you please forgive me? Please forgive me. No. God says, I am ready to forgive. When we come back to God and come to God humbly before him and say, God, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? God readily gives us his forgiveness. When God forgives He doesn't just forget the sin. He purges it. He atones it. He has paid the propitiation for it. That word propitiation is an amazing word, but we don't talk about it very often. The word propitiation means that Jesus Christ satisfied all of the angry judgment of God upon our sins. All of it. He took it all upon him. He propitiated it completely so that we can be reconciled to God. It's an amazing truth. God is so good to us. In the Old Testament, they anticipated Christ's atonement. Now, in the New Testament, it is available through Christ. Christ paid the debt in full. And we can... Come to Christ and say, I want your salvation. I want you to to forgive my soul and he will wash us clean. You know, that is a wonderful truth that all of us who will come to him can be saved. God is not willing that any should perish. If you're here today and have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is waiting for you to come to him and trust him as your Savior. He offers it to you. He provides it for you. But you have to receive it. He's paid the debt in full. It's a blessing blessing that John was able to say also of Christ in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He said, in it, He is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ paid the debt for all. Paul added in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have God's forgiveness. Thankfully, it's not just forgiveness at at the time of salvation, but we can come to God when we have done wrong, after we've been saved. And we can be forgiven, washed clean. That is such a blessing. 1 John 1.9 is one of the most important verses in a Christian's life. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written to Christians. When I fail, when you fail, we need to come to God and say, God, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Wash me clean. And he says, I will wash you clean and give you righteousness again. That's what we need. We need his righteousness. Forgiveness is a glorious benefit of God's compassion. But as you look at the verse again here, verse 38, he says, He forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. He didn't give them what they deserved. He forgave their iniquities. The word iniquity is a, a word that means perverseness or depravity or guilt. When we sin, we're guilty before God. We deserve God's punishment. And for that is what God is forgiving us. He is willing to forgive us what we deserve. In Luke chapter 15, verse number 20, the father of the prodigal son, who depicts God in the story, uh, we read there, he says, and he, the prodigal son, arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can you picture in your mind the prodigal son staggering up the dusty road in his ragged clothes, starving hungry, skin and bones, and he sees home, and he thinks, I wonder what's going to happen when dad sees me. I wonder what dad's going to say. Dad might tell me, get out of here, I don't want to know your face. But his dad saw him a long way off and dad, instead of shunning him, ran and hugged him and kissed him and told the servants to bring new clothes for him and shoes for his feet and a ring for his hand and he had a celebration. He forgave him because the son repented and came back. What a picture of God. We come back to God in rags, broken because of our sin. God's there ready with open arms and saying, come, I want to forgive you. I love you. I want you back. I want to wash you clean. Make you all that you ought to be. That's our loving God. That's our God of compassion. Forgiveness is truly a wonderful benefit of God's compassion. But He also withholds the destruction we deserve. We continue reading and he says, and he destroyed them not. Israel had sinned many times. And we chide Israel for their foolishness. And, but yet at the same time, we don't do any better. And we know that sin displeases God. And yet how many times do we do it anyway, even though we know it displeases God? We may truly long for victory over sin, but then we often fail again. We're humans. We struggle. And when we trip and fall, God has every right to punish us for that. We've broken His commandments. 
disobeyed Him. We deserve His judgment. Our guilt has earned us separation from God and eternal damnation. Yet God in His great compassion often withholds punishment that we deserve. And as Christians, once you know Christ your Savior, we don't have to fear damnation anymore. But we still have to fear standing before Him and give an account of our failures to God. God is a great God. And if we come to Him and seek His forgiveness, He forgives completely. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. It's a long ways. You can keep going east as long as you want to go east, and you'll keep going east. Or you can go west as far as you want to go west, and you'll always go west. God is a great and awesome God. But we find also not only did God forgive us of our sins, but he turned away his anger. Continuing on in our verse, verse 38, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. As I pondered this, I really learned some things that I think can be of help to me. Maybe they can be of help to you. God's anger is not like our anger. You know, sometimes we picture God, you know, the times when it says that God's poured out his wrath upon the children of Israel and we see, you know, somehow smoke coming out of his ears and God's up there fuming away and ready to kick everything down and he just... It's not God. It's not the way God operates. God doesn't lose his cool. God doesn't get angry like that. That's not, we think God would do that because that's what we tend to do when we get out of control or when people get out of control. Not right. But that's not how God responds. What is God's anger and wrath like? I don't believe it's this explosive, unkind cruelty. It is dealing out deserved justice. God, when he gets angry and wrath, he is simply dealing out deserved justice. Righteous judgment. God says, that's it. That's the sentence. Pour it out. That's it. It's not God up there fuming and kicking and, and getting angry. And That's not it. That's not what God does when he gets angry. God simply says, that's it. Judgment. And you read different verses in the Bible. They express that. But then we read some passages like the one I'm about to read to you. And what do you think of this? He says there in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 9, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. What do you think of a verse like that? How do we respond to that? How, God said in flaming fire he's going to do this. All right, as we think about this, God is not a cruel, fire-breathing dragon ready to barbecue anybody that doesn't do what he likes. That's not what he's describing here. God is simply stating that in his perfect wisdom and holiness, he knows that hellfire is the just punishment for those who rejected the saving grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. He said that is the just punishment Payment. 
in flaming fire, pouring out his judgment upon them. He says, that is exactly what is deserved. Now, as we think on that and ponder that, our problem is that we severely underestimate the wickedness of sin. I struggle with that. And I think all of us do. We severely underestimate the wickedness of sin. God said that is the just payment for sin. And we say, oh, that's kind of hard. No, God said that's the just payment. That is what is right. We don't see sin as bad as God does. God says, I hate sin in every form. And it's not that, you know, we, we have all these categories of sin, a little white lie and a big black lie and all, you know, God doesn't do that. If it's not right, it's sin. And if we fail God, we have sinned against God. And God said sin is a, is a terrible judgment comes for that. But you know, again, in God's graciousness and compassion, in reality, there's only one sin that sends a person to hell. Only one. The sin of unbelief. Because if we will come back to God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. And we put our trust in Him. God says, I forgive. So the only sin that will send a person to hell is the unbelief. I will not believe God. I will not trust God. I will not do that. And if you're here today and have never put your faith and trust in Christ, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. He's offered you salvation. If you reject it, you're on your own. And if he sends you to hell for that, that is the just, righteous, good thing to do because that is what is deserved. But God says, I don't want that for you. I want you to be forgiven. That's why I gave my son to pay the debt for you so you don't have to pay your debt for yourself. It's a wonderful gift of God. It is solely God's compassion that turns away his anger. It's not us. God doesn't look down at us and say, what a nice bunch of people there. I'm going to really forgive them because they're so nice. God doesn't do that. I mean, when he looks at me, if he didn't see the blood of Jesus Christ, he'd see the rotten sinner of me and I'd be doomed and condemned because of my rotten sin. But because of the blood of Christ, he's able to pass over me. And the same is true of you if you know Christ is your Savior. We have a wonderful God. What if God suddenly stopped turning away his anger? How long would you survive? I fear I would not survive very long. I'd be burnt toast before the end of the week. Whenever we have sinned and God turns away his anger, he deserves our gratitude and praise. He deserves us to say, God, thank you. Thank you for being merciful to me. Thank you for saving my soul. And thank you for forgiving all the sins that I've done since then. Thank you, God. You are a great and an awesome God. So many times we forget to give God the thanks for the forgiveness he offers us. God is a good God. He's a compassionate God. He's turned away his anger from us. But then notice in verse 39, he says, And he remembered that they were but flesh. 
The wind that passeth away and cometh not again. God remembers that we're not like him. And it's a good thing he does. We are mortals with sinful natures and human weaknesses. And when God created Adam and Eve, it's it's interesting to ponder over that. God created Adam and Eve innocent. And as I looked into these words, you know, I thought, what does it mean to be mortal? We are mortals. The word mortal literally means liable to death. So Adam and Eve weren't liable to death. They were going to live forever. Unless they disobeyed God. And so God must have created them immortal. And they lost their immortality and became mortal when they sinned. But Adam and Eve were in absolute perfection when they were created. And they blew it. And they passed on their sinfulness to all generations, including us. And God looks down upon us and he sees our flesh. Even the Lord Jesus, talking to his disciples, realized and recognized that they were but flesh. Remember when Jesus was in the garden and he told the the disciples to wait and pray and he was going to go pray by himself and he came back a while later and Peter, James, and John were all sound asleep. And Jesus says, hey, fellas, what's up? I ask you to pray. Oh, yeah, sorry, Lord, we kind of got tired there, fell asleep. And Jesus, what did he say? He said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Jesus knows that. And it's a wonderful blessing that God takes that into consideration that we have weak flesh. Now, this doesn't give us the permission to say, well, God, you know, what do you expect? I had to sin because I got weak flesh. No, God doesn't buy that story. He wants us to do what's right, but he does look at us and say, I know they're weak. I know they have flesh. I know they're not immortal yet. I know they still have that sin nature, and I know they're struggling. And God takes that into consideration. He knows that we are but dust, as the psalmist said in Psalm 103, verse 14. But all this is of no excuse. Since God has compassion on us, he remembers that we're but flesh. And what that ought to do for us is this. When someone else wrongs us, we need to treat them like God treats us. And realize they are just flesh like I am. They are weak like I am. They have the same issues I have. And I need to forgive them and treat them with compassion, just like God treats me with compassion. We need to become more like God in this area of forgiveness and compassion. We struggle. We need to follow God's example. So this morning, as we have looked at these verses, we've seen, first of all, that we ought to receive God's forgiveness gratefully and offer full forgiveness to those who've hurt us. Receive his forgiveness. You know, sometimes that's hard. I don't know about you. I've had struggles with this. I do something and I think, and then afterwards I beat myself up for a week or two because I did wrong. 
And God had already forgiven me. And God says, I forgave you. I need to accept God's forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard. We struggle with that. But we need to do it. God said, I forgave you. And if God genuinely forgave me and said it's as far as the east is from the west and it's buried under the depths of the deepest sea, he said it's taken care of. You can forget it. But our minds don't want to forget that easily. We must pattern our forgiveness after God's forgiveness. Read a little story about a couple that had been married for 15 years and they started having some more than usual disagreements. And so the wife came up with an idea. She said, you know, I've got an idea. Let's just make a box and we'll each have a box and we'll put in our complaints in the box and at the end of the month we'll pull out all the complaints and we'll work over them. So the husband said, okay, fair enough. So I made these two little boxes and put a hole in the top and so each time something the other person did irritated them, they wrote it on a paper, put it in the box. The end of the month, they opened up their boxes, and he was reading through hers, and she had all kinds of things in there. You left your socks um, on the floor, and, and uh, you know you left the t- top off of the jam jar again, and you, you, you left your wet towel on the showered floor, and, and uh, you know, all these things, you know, all the, the irritations that she didn't like about him. And then she started reading hers. And to her surprise, they were all the same. She read one, said, I love you. Pull out another one, said, I love you. Pull out another one, said, I love you. That's the way we need to be. We're not perfect. We need to be willing to forgive like God forgives. We also owe it to God to give Him praise and gratitude for withholding the judgment and destruction that we deserve and turning away His anger. When is the last time you said, God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't send me to hell. Thank you, God, that you saved my soul. Thank you that you forgave me. Thank you that I'm not where I deserve to be. You know, if you know your depraved nature, deep down inside, you know. You know you're far from perfect. So do I. If we got what we deserved, we'd be in big trouble. We need to thank God and say, God, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Then we must not forget that those who hurt us are just our flesh just like we are. God looks down on us and said, they bother me, they irritate me sometimes, but I know they're just flesh. I'm going to be compassionate toward them because they're just flesh. They struggle. And until they become immortal, they're going to continue to struggle. And we need to look at those around us and our family and friends and those that irritate us and we need to just say, I know they're just flesh like I am, and I've got to be patient. doesn't justify. God doesn't look down at us and say, they're just flesh, so it's okay that they're bad. No, that doesn't justify it. But it does have a bearing on how he deals with it. He says, I'm going to be compassionate. And so ought we to be compassionate toward others 
that irritate and frustrate us. Show compassion toward them. And so this morning, as we look at these two verses, let me read them one more time. Think about in your own heart. These were written to Israel, but there's certainly principles here for us. Verse 38, And he, God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up his, all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. We've got a great God, a compassionate God, a wonderful, loving God. And if you're here today and have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are, are turning your back on a gift that is priceless. He offers you the forgiveness and cleansing. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to take the judgment that your sin deserves. God will forgive if you will come to Him. And we need to come to Him and say, God, would you please forgive? As a believer, if you've done things that weren't right, you need to come to God and say, God, I'm guilty. Do as David did when he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin. We need to just be honest with God. Let God cleanse us. If there's a need for cleansing in your heart today, God's compassion is waiting for you to come. If there's someone you need to be compassionate toward, you need to show your compassion toward them. Ask God to help you to be more like He is toward you.